Welcome to Tech Talk. Bye. CDT. Welcome to CDT's Tech Talk, where we chat up the smartest people in tech policy to go beyond the headlines and make sense of how developments will actually affect your life. I'm Brian Wazlowski, and it's time to talk tech policy. This week, we'll be talking drones. Many people know them for their military purposes, but they have a lot of potential commercial and law enforcement uses as well. Will our skies soon be filled with drones, and should we be concerned? We'll also be looking to Europe, where there have been a number of developments on the privacy and free expression fronts that have the potential to impact the internet globally. From online commenting to erasing your past from searches, European courts and policymakers are coming to profound and sometimes troubling conclusions. Drones, drones everywhere, but where's our privacy? Yes, drones are a hot topic right now. From landing on the White House lawn to potentially delivering groceries, we're hearing about the good and the bad of our skies potentially filled with drones. Recently, CDT's Harley Geiger testified before Congress on what sort of policies and regulations should be in place around both the use of domestic and law enforcement drones. Harley joins us today. Welcome, Harley. Hi, thank you. Um, In reading your testimony, I learned a new term for drones, unarmed aircraft systems, or UASs. Unmanned. Unmanned. Oh, yeah, unmanned. That's what I wrote wrong there. Unmanned. Um, But I think drones is catchier. So can we use drones throughout the conversation and get away with it? Sure. Okay, awesome. So you started your congressional testimony with the potential benefits of drones and the opportunities for innovation. What are some of the most exciting things you're hearing right now? The most exciting thing I'm hearing right now is a pizza delivery drone. <laughs> I am. I have visions of walking into a Super Bowl party with like several drones carrying pizzas behind me and everyone just going nuts. That would be so awesome. That would be good. But there's a lot better uses <laughs> for that. I mean, it, it, drones can be used for, for humanitarian assistance, for uh, relaying Wi-Fi into remote areas, uh, for journalism, for filmmaking and art. I mean, there are a great number of uh, research as well as uh, commercial and artistic uses for drones that um, I think are very positive and have a very low impact on civil liberties and CDT wants to see those applications uh, in in practice I mean, we are not trying to uh, to hold back the technology or put the genie back in the bottle um, but we do want to see the technology be used in a way that is respectful also of privacy So let's go into that a little bit more, Um, the privacy concerns, the civil liberties concerns. Um, We'll leave military drones out of this. A lot of people do think military when they think drones, but we're looking more at commercial uses and then also government uses or law enforcement uses. So let's, let's start with the government ones, and specifically law enforcement. What are our primary concerns there with them using drones? Um, The primary concern is that drones can enable new kinds of pervasive surveillance because they can reach vantage points that older systems cannot. Uh, I mean, the the same things that make drones unique and valuable for commercial and scientific purposes, namely that they fly, uh, they can move around, also means that they pose uh, pose new privacy issues. Um, And specifically, the concern is that they can be used for pervasive, constant monitoring uh, over private property and over public property that is currently not subject to commercial or government monitoring. So things like your backyard, you know, they can actually look down on it is what you're saying. That's right. And uh, I sometimes hear people say, well, this is not different from a helicopter. And 
Uh, in a sense, that is true, but the, from, from our perspective, a helicopter, yes, could be used for aerial surveillance, but the helicopters generally cannot be used for uh, quiet, long-term uh, surveillance over a very wide area without refueling, the way that uh, some high-grade drones or a network of drones can. Um, and, and helicopters are also very expensive, and uh, so they're, they're just not going to be used as often and by as many uh, entities. You know, like a small town can afford several drones, but probably cannot afford to fly a helicopter every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the, so for the first time, many Americans are facing a much more realistic possibility of drones looking into their uh, fenced-in private property, um, but also uh, monitoring public property that is currently not subject to, to monitoring, like a rural highway or a public park. Yeah, and I actually thought in your, your testimony you mentioned that the perspective of drones goes even further because a lot of people say it's like, oh, it's just another form of camera. But, you know, a red light camera captures a moment, whereas a drone can do a much broader swath and you don't actually really know where it is. That's right. I mean, it is it is different than a ground-based CCTV network. I mean, although a, a big CCTV network could cover a wide area, if you turn a corner or enter your fenced-in yard or leave the intersection or leave the city, uh, then you are no longer in that observable field. But drones can change the equation by covering all of those areas because they fly. I mean, that's sort of the point, is that they can reach vantages that ground-based systems cannot. So are law enforcement using drones right now? Uh, they are. Uh, it's uh, somewhat limited because the, uh, the rules for drones entering airspace have not really been finalized by the FAA. So law enforcement agencies are using them on a somewhat limited basis with the expectation, and in fact the law says uh, that this will change and the FAA will release rules and we will see a lot more uh, UAS. I think it's been predicted that maybe 30,000 uh, could be used wow. uh, by, the end of the, by the end of the decade. I'm not sure whether or not that's going to happen, but there are certainly tens of thousands of law enforcement agencies in the United States, and they are predicted to be a big customer. So then the actions that we need on this one in terms of civil liberties protections come from the FAA and Congress, or who needs to act here? Uh, largely Congress. Uh, the okay. FAA is uh, responsible for regulating the airspace, but they're not really a privacy uh, agency. Uh, the Department of Transportation might be a better fit. They probably have more manpower, more expertise, uh, but really there's not a statutory authority for agencies to do a whole lot about this. So it's, it, I think that it really needs to come from, uh, from Congress. And when it comes to government drones, what we think is necessary is to have a, a transparency and due process requirements established in the law. I mean, the way that the law is right now, the Fourth Amendment, just the way the courts have interpreted it, does not really provide protection from aerial surveillance. The courts have, uh, the Supreme Court, in fact, has routinely said that uh, from the publicly navigable airspace, you do not have a reasonable expectation of privacy, and therefore the government does not need a warrant in order to spy on you from the publicly navigable airspace. And this has led to a lot of public distrust of the technology. Well, that's not a good thing. Let's pivot to the commercial uses. This is your pizza. This is you know de- delivery of diapers or something like that. What would we li- what would CDT like to see in terms of either regulations or policies in this space? So for commercial UAS, there are like with government, there there are not a lot of laws that protect privacy from uh, private entities, right? So private use of of drones. And there, there are some, but they're not nothing. 
uh, common law privacy torts. Uh, so there's a type of uh, type of law that is uh, found throughout the United States, and they they include things like uh, trespass or voyeurism, intrusion upon seclusion, and the standard though is kind of squishy. It's it's basically if it's highly offensive to a reasonable person, and that is actually not an easy standard to meet in court when it comes to aerial surveillance. And the more UAS, the more drones that are in the sky, uh, the harder it's going to be to prove that when one of them is looking at you, it is highly offensive. Um, so that, I think, privacy expectation, to the extent that it's there, is going to shrink. But nonetheless, like I said, something like voyeurism, it's, it does help protect against the more egregious misuses of the technology, like looking in through a window. Sure. Um, so the use case that we're really trying to focus on with uh, commercial UAS is uh, uh, outdoor surveillance. So I mean, looking at people while they are outside of the home, outside of their uh, constitutionally protected area. and. There, though, we have a competing interest. So we're CDT, of course, is not just a privacy advocacy organization. We are also a free speech advocacy organization. Right. And we believe in the First Amendment right to take photographs in public places. And that applies also to UAS, to drones, because they can be used to take photographs in public places. And so we think that uh, it would be uh, in conflict with the First Amendment to have congressional regulation that is too heavy-handed when it comes to private UAS uh, taking photos outdoors. And so any any legislation would have to, I think, probably stick to that tort standard that I mentioned earlier. Um, so something like um, highly offensive to a reasonable person in circumstances where someone has a reasonable expectation of privacy. They're not very strong standards, but we don't think that they would conflict with the First Amendment, at least not as written, at least not on their face. And so to avoid a First Amendment conflict while still providing some privacy, an industry code of conduct could actually provide privacy, transparency, and accountability where direct regulation cannot. Mm -hmm. But it's only going to work if businesses adopt a strong and enforceable code of conduct, if it's very weak or if they just don't adhere to it um, and they don't adopt it as a formal code, then... Uh, then it's not really going to advance the ball very far. And top line, what would be the elements of that code of conduct? Top line is a, a reasonable restrictions, reasonable limitations on the collection, and use, and retention of data collected by drones, and uh, as well as transparency uh, by, uh, for example, for example, having a registry with data collection statements, a publicly accessible registry with data collection statements and perhaps even flight patterns of uh, private commercial UAS. Now, there can be exceptions to all of these things. I mean, different industries are going to have different use cases. Like the uh, Amazon delivery drones are gonna be different than journalism drones. Sure. And an investigative journalist might have a really good reason why they don't want a, their license and their data collection statements publicly accessible. So I think that the code, it may be more than one code, but it needs to be flexible enough to uh, to provide for cases like this. Um, and two other things that I would say that the code ought to be looking into. One is uh, cybersecurity standards for drones. One, drones do rec represent in some ways a physical threat um, because they, they can be hijacked and they can be used uh, as, a, you know, as, as something of a flying missile. And so cybersecurity standards that prevent uh, unauthorized damage to the drone I think would be a very good thing for uh, the industry to coalesce around. And then second, um, and this is somewhat more innovative, but this would be uh, technical specifications. And the industry and the government should be looking at ways that 
uh, to protect, protect people's privacy and physical space, such as by something called geofencing, where you delineate a property and that, uh, that delineation, that, uh, that property is built into the drone's GPS so that the drone either does not fly over that property or does not retain information as it is flying over that property. Hmm. Um, there's so like a virtual mask over your, your yard. That's right. And uh, we have several other ideas in, in that regard, but there, there's a, a couple technical things that, that we think that the industry could be looking into that would at least help. There's not really going to be a silver bullet, but all of these things uh, help. Sure. I think a lot of people have visions of drones falling in their pools or, you know, just on the streets. So figuring out cybersecurity, a big piece of that. But, it, you know, are they a safe technology in general? Well, that is uh, definitely one of the things that the FAA is focused very heavily on. And I cannot comment on the state of uh, the safety technology only, uh, uh, only to the extent that I, I, I read about it and I know that, sure. they, that they are working on it. One thing that they are trying to work on is um, what they call uh, sense and avoid, where uh, uh, drones above a certain weight limit are able to sense the presence or proximity of other drones or manned aircraft like airplanes and avoid them. And uh, you know, I hear from some folks that it's still in the works. I hear from other folks that it's uh, ready to go. And I'm not sure what to believe, but in, sure. I, I personally am glad that they're working on it because I too do not want flying robots to come crashing down. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of work to be done in drones in terms of both the technology, but also certainly the policies around it and the regulations around it. Let's close looking at the future here. You know, are we going to have our friendly skies filled with buzzing things? What does it look like 10 years from now? Just predict. Well, 10 years from now, uh, I think that it would be rather shocking if we do not have looser uh, restrictions on the use of uh, commercial commercial drones. Right right now, there there's pretty much a blanket ban. The folks that are flying commercial drones are doing so under, under a waiver. They're the exception, not the rule. And so I think that that will flip, and the rule will become that commercial drones are able to fly. I think that we'll see greater use of government drones. And I think one way or another, we're going to see privacy rules. Uh, whether it is on a federal level or on a state level, um, those rules are actually already coming. Um, there are at least 16 states that have put forth uh, privacy laws uh, specifically with regard to UAS. And I think that once these things take to the air, it seems to me that uh, states will, uh, will probably ramp up that effort if the federal government has actually not done anything substantial on it. Great. Well, thanks so much, Harley. A pleasure having you on Tech Talk and hope to have you back again. Sure. Thank you. Europeans love their privacy, but lately their governments also seem to really love surveillance. Also, as European nations shout from the rooftops in support of their free expression rights, their courts and lawmakers are handing down rulings and making laws that seem to favor privacy over open expression online. Of course, decisions made in Europe have the potential to impact the internet globally. What do all these new policies, rules, laws, and decisions mean for the global internet? And will we see any of the more controversial proposals proposals embraced elsewhere? Joining me today all the way from Brussels is Jens Henrik Jeppesen, who heads our work out there. Uh, thanks for coming, Jens. Thank you. Pleasure to have you on Tech Talk. We don't get you in DC very much, so it's nice to have you here. Jens, there is so much happening in Europe right now. It's hard to keep track of it. From the release of the digital single market strategy to the implementation of the right to be forgotten, and also countries trying to make that a global effort. We've also a ruling that would hold internet platforms accountable for user comments. What the heck is going on in Europe? 
Yes, thanks, Brian. There, there are many, many moving pieces, and, and you mentioned uh, a lot of them here. So, so let's start with the with the digital single market strategy. So, this is Europe's great effort to drive forward uh, Europe's digital economy, make sure that we benefit in terms of new jobs, uh, growth, innovation, investment, etc. There's a lot of good stuff in the strategy, and some less good stuff. One <laughs> of the one of the troubling uh, ideas launched in the strategy is uh, the idea uh, that internet intermediaries should have new responsibilities uh, or what the drafters call a duty of care uh, to deal uh, proactively with illegal content, whatever that might be. So, so like illegal content being maybe like extremist content or copyright infringing content, that sort of content? That's exactly right. There are uh, three different kinds of, of content uh, are mentioned in the strategy. And one is, is extremist okay. uh, content, clearly Charlie Hebdo, the Copenhagen yeah. attacks, the, the onward march of ISIS in the Middle East uh, and the attraction that has on, on some people sure. living in Europe. Uh, brings uh, uh, internet companies and social media platforms uh, in the crosshairs of law enforcement uh, agencies who want to try and stop the kind of propaganda that is being uh, that's being propagated. Um, now, and in the other uh, the other part of it is uh, IP infringing uh, content, where okay. uh, holders of IP or intellectual property are keen to have trading platforms do more policing, monitoring, filtering uh, to uh, keep, uh, uh, whether it's counterfeit goods or, or pirated goods, uh, uh, off their networks. So this is the, this is the discussion. And uh, we as CDT have always said, and we will continue to say, that you have to move extremely carefully here. Um, when we look at the history of the internet, it has been uh, the uh, liability protections for inter internet uh, intermediaries that has spurred the immense growth, uh, the innovation, and the uh, the the, uh, the internet as this uh, let's say permissionless forum for commerce, entrepreneurship, free expression, political debate, and so forth. Yeah, a lot of people don't think about necessarily that you need the platforms for people to post content to, otherwise. How are people going to find that content? And if those platforms don't exist that are willing to host that content, whether it's your cat video or something far more meaningful like the CDT podcast, that's a problem. That's exactly right. And and <clears throat> if you and it, it's counterproductive in another way as well, because what Europe wants to do rightly is to uh, is to have homegrown internet companies. Uh, innovate and scale mm -hmm. and, and, and grow. Now, if you, if you then change the rules and impose new upfront uh, liabilities and responsibilities on them, that will be a deterrent for those types of companies to, to start operating and certainly to start growing. Big platforms, the, 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 today's giants, they can handle a lot of this with armies of lawyers, sure. startups won't be able to do that. Good point. I keep interrupting you. I know there was a lot more that listed. So that was the digital single market strategy. What That's I okay. But I mean, it's the, uh, you, you mentioned the Delphi case, uh, sure. which is, which 
That's the one on the commenting, point. right? That's the one where uh, exactly right. Delphi was held responsible for their user comments. Exactly right. Exactly right. I think I think this is the uh, this is a case in point uh, of the dangers of of, of taking uh, these obligations uh, too far, which the the, the court has done. Um, so the victim here is uh, first of all, of course, the uh, uh, online platforms that have. Uh, that facilitate this debate, but it's also users uh, who will not be able to engage in the kind of, of discussion that we have. Yeah, it seems like a, a very easy response to this. Unfortunately, would be just to shut down the comment section on you know an article or something if you're going to suddenly be held responsible for what users say. And you know we've all read the comment sections on a news site, and sometimes <laughs> it's you know it borders on hilarious. It can be awful. Sometimes it's insightful. There's value to it, and you right. don't want it shut down. I, I mean, I wouldn't think. Not. Absolutely not. Uh, but that would be not an irrational choice for a uh, uh, for an online moderator or an online company to do. Sure. So you mentioned a bit that um, you know the incentive or why Europeans are looking at a digital single market um, and these incentives for this to grow a vibrant European um, digital economy. Do you think that any of it comes from a different view in privacy between Americans and Europeans in general? I've heard that before. Do you think there's any truth to that? Uh, yes and no. Uh, so discussions on data protection have been going on in Europe for quite a while. Um, there is a uh, uh, there's a data protection regulation that's being negotiated and has been since 2012. Um, the uh, and it will replace when finally adopted. It will replace a piece of legislation dating back from 1995. The big difference in terms of uh, of the legislative constitutional environment is that Europe has this uh, horizontal piece of legislation that covers personal data in whatever context. Um, that's a difference to the US where the, uh, protection, uh, protections exist but in silos. There's mm -hmm. certain protections in, within healthcare, within finance and so on and sure. so forth, but no broad uh, uh, consumer bill of rights such a thing is, is in draft stage right now, but, but nothing has been adopted. So, <clears throat> so that's the legal and constitutional sort of side of it. On the other hand, I think it's clear that Europeans and Americans have similar concerns about privacy and data protection. Uh, I think there were, uh, there were, as late as November last year, there were a few um, uh, polls out to show that in fact, you have very similar uh, uh, concerns. People are worried about uh, what happens with their digital footprint, mm -hmm. uh, what data is collected, how is it used, uh, who is it shared with, and so on and so forth. Uh, these, are, these are concerns that need to be addressed, uh, both on the European side and on, on the US side. So similar citizen concerns, but perhaps slightly different approaches from a policy perspective. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and now you mentioned the, the the free expression issue, and and that is probably that is an area where there are clear differences in terms of, of the um, the weighing of these these rights. Um, um, so is the right to be forgotten an the, example? The right of that? to be forgotten. You, you, we we talked about it. The um, the uh, you have in the U.S. You have your First Amendment. Um, 
we have in Europe, we have the European Convention on Human Rights that guarantees the freedom of expression. Mm -hmm. uh, it also guarantees the right to privacy and data protection. So uh, in the right to be forgotten context, these two rights are at loggerheads. And, uh, and just can you give a little context on the right to be forgotten for people who may not be familiar with it? I mean, it's a very catchy, whoever did the branding <laughs> of that did a brilliant job, but can you explain it a little bit? Uh, very briefly, yes. In a Spanish, a Spanish lawyer uh, was um, a Spanish lawyer was frustrated about uh, Google searches on his name returning uh, uh, reports about a, a tax debt, a, mm. a, a default, and a, and a public debt. Uh, he went to the newspaper where the articles were published and asked them to be taken uh, taken off the record uh, they would not and could not do that uh, and then the uh, they he went to the uh, to the search engine in this case Google and uh, and asked that uh, uh, links would be removed when oh. searches on yeah. his name were, were done so that's how the, the case started it worked gotcha. its way all the way up to the Court of Justice of the EU which is the our equivalent to the US Supreme Court and uh, it handed down uh, last year a very controversial uh, uh, decision and, and basically ordered that search engines uh, must, under certain circumstances, take down, uh, not take down, but delist, wow. remove links to and this type of... Google's thing. actually started doing this in Europe, correct? In they, started, uh, they started implementation, I believe, uh, last summer, yeah, so there's almost a... And what types of people are taking advantage of this? I mean, is it a, probably a, a broad swath of people? But correct, correct. I th we don't have a full picture uh, of how this is handled, but Google has certainly uh, made public some uh, material about the kinds of requests that they grant and the kinds of requests that they don't grant. Sure. Uh, examples of requests that they grant uh, would be, let's say, for example, a a victim of a rape whose name was reported in a news story and that that story then keeps sort of uh, dogging that thing sure uh, that would be an example of, of something that Google has has granted Makes um, uh, examples of uh, requests that were not granted would be uh, financial advisors or medical practitioners who have malpracticed mm -hmm. and have had bad comments in the press, or maybe even maybe even uh, convictions. And I fines. could imagine politicians would love to have certain things they well, said in the past erased from the record. That that was certainly discussed, uh, uh, but I think it was very clear. That was one one of the one of the pieces of guidance the court the court gave was that public figures uh, would benefit from this right to delisting uh, much much less than. Private persons. That makes sense. So, are things like this catching on? Do you think you know, like the right to be forgotten, or you know, the ruling that came down in the Delphi case around commenting? Do you see any momentum outside of Europe, whether it's in the U.S. or other parts of the world, this catching on? On the right to be forgotten, uh, again, there are probably similar concerns among people in the U.S., mm -hmm. uh, and I think studies bear that out. Um, that there is an unease about what's out there about me. Um, I am aware of uh, developments in Japan, where I, I, 
believe this is being discussed. Um, uh, but I, I don't think that anybody has yet passed this this type of uh, this type of, of legislation. Certainly. And, and again, we would. I, I, I say it again. You know, CDT has fundamental concerns with this type yeah. of, of of legislation. Yeah, I mean, Europe certainly has a profound impact on the internet. I mean, they're very vocal. They have citizens that are very engaged. So I can only imagine that something that happens in Europe reverberates around the world. I'm going to wrap it up here. Um, if you were a business owner, an online publisher, running a website that hosted user content and wanted to do business in Europe, any advice for them based on the climate right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, you would need to take a lot of legal advice on some of these questions, that's for sure. I, I think the, what will happen now on the, on the digital single market strategy and, and the ideas around uh, liability is that there will be consultation, there will be uh, reports written and so on and so forth. So legislative change is still a ways off. Um, so there's, there's certainly time to make, uh, to make, make the improvements <laughs> that, that we want to make. In, in this so if you're doing there, pay attention and make sure you have a good lawyer on your side if you want to launch something. <laughs> that, that would be sensible. Thanks so much, Jens. Appreciate having you stop by. Thank you very much. And that's it for this week's CDT Tech Talk. You can find more information about our efforts in Europe and those buzzing drones at www.cdt.org. As always, tweet us any questions you have or topics you'd like us to cover to at Tech. Thanks for listening, and I've always wanted to say this, keep it classy.